0: Give your Bible, we're gonna be in Genesis 20 this morning, Genesis chapter number 20, continuing in our series, verse by verse, the book of Genesis. When I say the name Abraham in the Bible, when I say Abraham, what comes to mind for you? And probably for all of us, it's a little different. But when you're thinking of the character Abraham there, obviously we, we, he's introduced to us in Genesis, but then we see him all throughout scripture in different ways and in different references and different stories. What comes to mind for you when I say the name Abraham? For me. One of the first things that comes to mind is the title that God gave him, or the Bible says, describes him, he was a friend of God. Isn't that a great testimony? That you had such a relationship, and you were—that someone just said, that's a friend of God. That's someone that is so close to God, that's the friend of God. I love that. Of David, there's a title of David that the Bible calls him, a man after God's own heart. I love that, too. What a testimony. A man after God's But for me, one of the first things that comes to mind for Abraham is is the friend of God. Another thing that comes to mind for Abraham is the terrible children's song that we wrote about him. Father Abraham had many sons, and kind of like the Christian hokey-pokey there. And and that comes to mind when I think of Abraham. I think of he was the father, of course, of Israel, the nation of Israel. I think of a man of faith. He offered Isaac, his only son. He was willing to offer him uh, to God. And and in the Hall of Faith chapter, we call it the Hall of Faith, kind of like the Hall of Fame. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, there's what was often referred to as the Hall of Faith. And it lists all of these great characters of faith throughout Scripture. Kind of this Hall of Fame, if you will, of people that displayed amazing faith. And did you know... That in Hebrews 11, that Hall of Faith chapter, more verses, more, more, uh, more word count is given to Abraham than any other character in all of Scripture in the Hall of Faith chapter. He, he, gets, the, he gets the most press time in Hebrews 11. What an amazing man. Uh, a man that received a great promise from God uh, that God would make of him a great nation, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of his family. And by the way, that promise is still coming true and to fruition today as Jesus Christ came through the bloodline of Abraham. Most of Genesis is written about his life and God's blessings upon him. The Bible has so much good and so much praise for Abraham. But do you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't sugarcoat the human reality of those that we can look at as these amazing characters of the faith, the amazing uh, men and women. It doesn't sugarcoat the reality of their human nature and their sin nature, of even what we might call uh, just we just saying it when we stand beside the heroes of the faith. You know the heroes of the faith, the Bible tells them tells us the realities of their struggles as well, and I appreciate that. A few chapters ago in our verse-by-verse study of Genesis, we saw Abraham's doubt and fleshly response with his sin with Hagar and the birth of Ishmael. Today as we come to Genesis chapter number 20, we're going to see some realities of the presence of sin in the life of this great man of God. And I believe that today's message can do a few things for us. One I believe it can serve as a reminder to us of the effects of sin in our lives. Two, I believe that this message will be able to be a challenge to us to learn from the mistakes of Abraham. It's been said that, that it's, it's, it's best—the it's the one thing we fail to learn from history is to learn from history. And instead of making our own mistakes and having to learn from our own mistakes, it's better to learn from the mistakes of others. And third, I believe it'll be an encouragement to us that grace in our lives can abound in spite of the abundance of sin in our world and even in our lives at times. Would you look at the first uh, verse and a half or so of Genesis chapter number 20? We, we left off last week in Genesis 19 with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot losing really everything in his life. The last time we see him, he's, he's in a cave defiled and, and really just completely um, um, just a, a, a terrible, terrible state in life. Genesis 20 verse number 1. The Bible says, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, so he left that area where Sodom and Gomorrah, where he could see that, between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, what are the next four words, church? He said of Sarah his wife, what? She is my sister. So Abraham picks up camp, picks up all of his herdmen, all of his flocks, he goes to a new land, he comes into a new place. And he says of his wife, Sarah, she is my what? This is deceit. This is a lie. This is something that could cause and is going to cause some great problems in Abraham's life. We see here in Abraham's life this man that is the friend of God, this man that the chapter before tells us he got up before the Lord and he communed with God two chapters ago, face to face. God and Abraham are talking. God came in a Theophany and literally visited Abraham in his tent, had a meal with him. This amazing giant of the faith. And the Bible tells us when faced with some, um, some concerning circumstances, his response was not faith, but was sin. Hebrews 11, more time given to Abraham than anybody else. And this man of hero of the faith, when faced with a struggle, when faced with a, a circumstance he didn't know how it was going to turn out, his response was not to trust God. His response was to take matters into his own hands, to deceive those around him so that he could protect himself. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. I love it when the disciples don't understand what Jesus is doing. Why? Because sometimes I don't understand what Jesus is doing. I love it when Jesus speaks plainly to them, and they totally miss the point. Why? Because sometimes I totally miss the point, point. and it gives me encouragement, it gives me strength, it gives me faith that if God can use them in spite of them, God can use me in spite of me. This morning, we're going to look at eight realities of sin. We see in chapter 20, really the entire chapter is dedicated to the lapse or the sin of Abraham and his life, and we're going to see eight realities of sin. Again, this doesn't sound like the most happy, exciting title, but I believe as we see these, one, there'll be a challenge to us, two, there'll be a reminder to us, but three, there'll be an encouragement to us in our lives to learn from these mistakes. Number one, what do I see here in the first verse and a half? I see number one, that sin affects. all of us. Do you ever feel like it affects you more than the others, people around you? Here's the reality. Don't you ever come to church and you look around and say, man, they've got it together and they've got it figured out and their life's going good. And what's wrong with me? Anybody ever feel that way? My life is not quite—I don't have this figured out, and I don't have that, and I struggle with this, and I woke up there, and I messed that up, and I opened my mouth there where I shouldn't have, and I mishandled that. And anybody ever feel like you're the only one that is struggling along this way? Social media kind of exacerbates that in our lives. Why? Because on social media, what do we see? On social media, we see everyone's highlight reels while we're living our blooper-filled realities. Right? So we look at our lives, we look at social media, and we're like, man, they've got a great life. They've got, they've got a great marriage, they've got a great family, everything's good. And we look at our lives, and sometimes we feel like, what's wrong with me? And I'm not against, you know, sharing good things and and rejoicing and all of that on social media, whatever. Often I'll I'll go to maybe a preacher's meeting or a conference or a seminar somewhere where there's other folks in ministry that are there, and they'll say things like, man, it looks like it's really exciting. Some great things are happening there at Liberty. Man, it looks like God's really working in Newport. And by the way, I always say he is. It's an amazing place with amazing people. But here's what I also say. I also say, well, we only share the highlights on social media. I don't get on social media and say, just got the worst email from a person I've ever received. Just met with somebody that was completely unreasonable, not using logic at all. Did, did, did. I don't go on, on, here's a picture of the person that just left our church mad. I'm not posting that on social media. And so I say that to other pastors, why? To remind them, yes, it's amazing what God's doing, but it's not a perfect place because it's filled with an imperfect, imperfect pastor and imperfect people. Man, God's really working in Newport Christian school, and He is. And I love what God's doing, but why do I say that? Because if we're not careful, the Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. If you're not careful, you look around and you get discouraged, or maybe you read the Bible and you say, man, God can use Abraham, and God can use Moses, and God can use Paul, and God can use David, and God can use Aaron, and God can use Matthew, and God can use Peter, and God can use John, but God can't use me. Those guys are superheroes of the faith, and I'm just normal old Ryan. But here's the reality and the encouragement to remind us that, that that sin affects all of us. Even the one God chose to personally give the Abrahamic covenant to, to promise to give, make a great nation, to give him a miraculous son, that Jesus would come through his bloodline. Even that man struggled with doubt, struggled with fear, struggled with deceit, struggled with sin. Now, this is not an encouragement, so cool, I guess you keep struggling with sin. No, but it is an encouragement that if you are struggling with sin, don't, don't give, give up on yourself. Sin affects all of us. It affects all of us. This chapter reminds us that even the man that God chose to establish the nation of Israel it would be used to bring Christ in the, in this, into this world was a man of like passions as we. As the songwriter penned, once again I faced Satan this morning, and I battled him all the day long. Do you ever feel that way? We all struggle with our sin nature. What did Paul say? Paul said, I die daily. He was talking about his spiritual life, he mortified the flesh. Every morning he woke up and he said, God, help me to die to my flesh and to live to your spirit. Why did Paul have to do that daily? Could it be that maybe he struggled with his flesh every day? Could it be that the great Apostle Paul that wrote more books of the Bible than anybody else, every morning he woke up, he struggled with the Apostle Paul? What does he say in another, in another a passage in the New Testament, one of the letters that he wrote? He said, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, all the things I want to do, I, I really want to live right. I want to live for God. I want to do right. Those are the things I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, I want to stop doing that, I want to change my spirit there. I want to, Those are the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What was he saying? Sin affects all of us. Sometimes we think God can use those people, but he can't use me. A reminder that Moses struggled with his temper and killed a man. A reminder that Gideon struggled with doubting and fear. A reminder that Noah got drunk. A reminder that Elijah and Job got completely despondent and depressed and they wished that God would kill them, a reminder that David committed adultery, and Solomon looked for fulfillment in women and in wealth, Peter cussed and denied Christ, Samson dishonored his parents and got mixed up with wicked women, Eve had the perfect husband and lived in the perfect place, and still struggled with discontentment and covetousness over what she didn't have. I can keep going over the characters of the Bible. The reality is we all struggle with the realities of this fallen world. Which reminds me, speaking of Eve, why did Adam and Eve have the perfect marriage? Because Adam didn't have a (laughs) mother-in-law. And Eve didn't have to hear how good of a cook Adam's mom was. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. All of us, sin affects all of us. Don't get discouraged because you're battling sin. You should be concerned when you stop battling sin, and you let it have victory in your life. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, the Bible says. It affects all of us, even Father Abraham. What's well, another reality of sin? Number two, sin hurts those around us. Sin hurts those around us. Look at verse number two, the second half of verse number two. So, she said, she is my sister, and what does it say, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. In those days, if there was a single uh, woman there, a king, a person of power, could basically say, you're coming with me. You remember David and Bathsheba? You're coming with me and you're going to be my wife or one of my wives. And the woman had no option in it. And so Abraham's sin of doubting God and deceiving and lying, it didn't just affect him. Why was he doing it to try to protect himself? But in trying to protect himself, do you know what he did? He hurt his wife. His wife was now taken into the, the palace and into the kingdom and into those—she was taken away from her husband, she was taken away from her handmaid, she was taken into this place to live there. We don't know exactly how long it was, I don't believe it was very long, um, but she was taken in there. Sin always affects others. Your sin doesn't only affect you. That's one of the lies of Satan. Husband, your sin of greed or slothfulness or anger or lying affects your loved ones. Teenager, your sins today affect your parents and your siblings, and can even affect your spouse and children a decade or more from now. College student, your experimentation today could leave scars and develop cravings and desires that adversely affect your loved ones for decades. No man is an island. One of Satan's lies in today's culture is this, just let people do what makes them happy. If it's not hurting anybody, do what you want. Live and what? Let live. Isn't that a mantra in our culture today? What's the idea? If you want to do that, if, if, even if it goes against my values or the Bible's values or Christian values, if you want to do that, as long as you're not hurting anybody, go ahead. Here's the problem. When we go against God's Word, when we go against God's principles, we're always going to be hurting other people. Whether we see it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are always going to be hurting other people. Abraham's sin hurt him. Abraham's sin hurt Sarah. We're going to see in a little bit. Abraham's sin hurt Abimelech. Abraham's sin hurt Abimelech's servants. It hurt the ladies that lived in Abimelech's home. Look at verse 18, the last verse of the chapter. Genesis 20, verse number 18. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So now all of the women that lived in this house are now barren and cannot conceive and bear a child because of Abraham's sin. These ladies that had probably never even met Abraham, didn't know who Abraham was. Abraham's sin deeply and directly affected their lives. Sin always hurts those around us. Well, this is just for my pleasure. Nobody knows, this isn't secret, this isn't hiding, this is just something I do for myself. It's not hurting anybody else. By the way, we all know that when it gets exposed, well yeah, I agree, if it ever gets exposed, it hurts those around me. I'm here to tell you, even if it never does get exposed publicly, it still hurts those around you because it changes who you are. Even if I have counseled enough marriages and families where they'll say when something finally does get exposed, they'll say this, I knew there was something I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something wasn't right in our relationship. There was something here with my wife, or my wife here or there. Our communication wasn't what it once was, our our affection wasn't what it once was. I didn't know what it was. What are they saying? Even before I knew there was sin, sin was adversely affecting us. It always affects those around us, always. And we don't think that because normally when we're sitting, we're thinking only of ourselves, but it always does. Our sin always hurts those around us. How many drunk drivers, single sinful decision to drive while intoxicated, forever hurt them, their loved ones, and even strangers they've never met? How many gamblers' sins of greed and covetousness have hurt their ability to properly care for and provide for their children? How many spouses' sin of lust and self-gratification has hurt their marriage relationship? Sin always hurts those around us. Don't buy into the lie that your sin isn't hurting anyone or is only hurting you. It always touches other people's lives. By the way, not only does it hurt those around us, it often leads those who look up to us to struggle with the same sins. Do a study. Do a study. On children that grow up in abusive homes often now this this does not mean if this was you that you have to repeat this but statistically speaking they are more likely to grow up to abuse their children than those that have not grown up in that kind of home that's not a that's not a justification if you grew up in an abusive home for you to be an abusive parent the grace of God the Spirit of God can give us victory and can give us grace and can change us but statistically speaking it's true Those that grew up in homes of addicts or or people that struggle with alcoholism, statistically speaking, are more likely to grow up and struggle with those same things. Why is that? Because often our sin doesn't just hurt others by by, by the the consequences of it. It hurts them because they look up to us and they end up doing the same thing. We're not going to turn there. We'll see it in a few weeks. You know what's interesting in Genesis 26? We're here in Genesis 20. Isaac hasn't been born yet. He's been promised, but he hasn't been born yet. Isaac's not alive. And you know what Isaac does in Genesis 26? It's interesting how this works. Isaac takes his wife, Rebecca, into a new country, and you know what Isaac tells the people of that country about his wife? She is my what? What do you think he says? She's my sister. Isn't that interesting? The exact same sin, and again, this is not determinism, this is not, well if my parents struggle with this, that means I have no hope, God can't give me victory, I have to struggle with this as well. Your parents' bad choices do not doom you to failure in your life any more than your parents' good choices destined you to success in your life. We all have a free will, we all have personal responsibility, we all have to make a choice, we all have to seek God for us, so this is not, well my parents made a mistake so I've got no hope, or my parents were perfect so I don't have to work on myself. no, but it is a reminder that it always affects those around us. Often, our children will repeat the sinful choices they see in their parents. Number three, sin gets easier to repeat. This wasn't the first time Abraham had struggled with this exact sin. Do you remember it back in Genesis 12 when they went into uh, to Egypt? They went into Egypt, and, and in Genesis 12, what did he tell the ruler of Egypt? She, because she was fair to look upon, the Bible says, in today's terminology, she had it going on. Sarah was, a, she was easy on the eyes, and the king was looking, and what, what, did, what did he say? She's my sister. And what happened? Again, God intervened there. God intervened and said, well actually, and they actually saw that she wasn't his sister. If you read the passage, they were like, that's not how you treat your sister, and so that must not be his sister. And he said, why would you tell us this? Why would you do this? This was not the first time that Abraham had struggled with this exact sin of lying about this exact thing. But here's the thing, for all intents and purposes, he had gotten away with it back in Genesis 12. Nothing bad came of it. God protected him. In fact, he got special treatment in Egypt. Once they found out the truth, the the, the Pharaoh gave, gave, and here's the reality, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing when we get away with sin for a season. Because the first time of sin, it's always the hardest. It's always the hardest to bring ourselves to commit that sin the first time. But the second time, it gets a little easier. And the third time, it gets even easier. And the fourth time you've gotten away with it, there's been no repercussions. It's become a part of your life. You've actually enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. By the way, sin brings pleasure. There's some really good stuff that comes along with sin for a period of time. So you've enjoyed the good and you haven't tasted the bad. And so now all of you sudden, man, I'm getting away with it. I'm having my cake and I'm eating it too. I want more of that. And if you're not careful, it becomes a way of life. Look at verse number 13. Look what the Bible says in verse number 13 after the sin got caught. Look at what Abraham says. It came to pass, he's he's talking to the king of Gerar, it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, unto my wife Sarah, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. Look at this. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. This wasn't just going to be a one or two time thing for Abraham. This This act of sin was going to be a lifestyle. It always gets easier to repeat. The roots get deeper. What's easier to pull? A tiny weed, a bigger weed, or a weed that's been growing for years. It's always easiest to pull it out by the roots, and the longer you let it grow, you've got to dig and make a big hole, and it gets harder and harder and harder. Sin is always gets easier to repeat. And so I ask you this morning. What sin is gaining a stronghold in your life? You've been getting away with it. The way you've treated a family member, the the, the way that you've been dishonest at work, the attitude toward other people, a a spirit of self-gratification. It's getting easier and easier to commit. I want to say to you, as the Bible says to all of us, be sober. Be serious. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The end of that. Be sure, the Bible says, your sins will find you out. The Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. It starts as a thought, it starts as a desire, turns into an action. Sin, when it is finished, when there's been a pattern of it, it, when it stays in our life unchecked, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, and maybe not for a week or a month or a year, but payday is coming, the Bible says. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It gets easier to repeat. Be careful of the carnality that you get comfortable with. We get comfortable with certain pet sins in our lives, and all of a sudden, we just start to justify them. We just start to think that I can can get along with this. The writer of Hebrews challenges us. He says to lay aside the sin that easily besets us, gets us off track. It's, It's the one that we come back to in our lives. For all of us, I believe the Bible teaches there are certain sins that are a greater temptation than others. That sin that we often return to even if we don't want to, the more we indulge in that and the more we give place to the devil in that area, the easier it is to repeat it and the more it becomes a lifestyle. For some, greed is a major sin, a besetting sin. For others, it's dishonesty. You really struggle to be honest, and sometimes it's in really dumb ways. It's like, why why wasn't I just honest there? But somewhere along the way, that sin got a little bit of a a, a foothold in your life, and that foothold turns into a stronghold if you don't deal with it. For others, it might be lust, and it might be greed, and it might be slothfulness, it might be pride. Whatever that is, all of us have a besetting sin, a sin that I believe is more likely to get us off track than others, and that doesn't mean— we all struggle with all different types of sin at different times. But for some people, there, I'm not going to name them, but there are some sins that I know some people struggle with that's not a temptation to me at all. I, Satan can't get—he could, but it, 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 he's, it's not as easy for him to get victory in that area of my life. It's not, it's not a temptation. But, you know, there are other areas that are a temptation to me that might not be a temptation to you. And be careful about getting used to that sin in your life, that pet sin. That sin that you allow and do not deal with or repent from will come back stronger and more often. Number four, sin always grows. It always grows. Look at verse number three. Well, Back in Genesis 12, and we're not going to go there. You can go there this week if you'd like. Genesis 12, you know who was involved in the sin? Abraham. Abraham was involved in the sin. Look at verse number three. Let's see who was involved in it this time. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. That's not a very happy dream. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, they had not had any physical interaction. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? I've not done anything wrong. Verse 5, Said he not unto me, she is my sister. Isn't he the one that sinned? I didn't sin. He told me that was his sister. I just believed this man. And then look at the end of verse five. And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocency of my hands have I done this? In chapter 12, Abraham was the one who had lied. Now he had involved others. He had his wife lying with him. Sin never stops in its infant stages. It always needs more. It always progresses. It's never satisfied. That sin that that pleased our flesh in the the beginning is not enough a week or two or three or a month or two or three. It's got to be more. That thing we got away with there, it grows. What we need to, to, to satisfy that, we need more of that. It's got to get bigger and stronger and more frequent and more often. and and involve more people. Sin is never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. Never. Well, if I just get that, then that'll be the last time that I do that. That'll be the last time that I steal that. That'll be the last time that I lie about that. That'll be the last time that I view that. That'll be the last time I get involved with that person. That'll be the last time. Sin is never satisfied. It always grows. It started with Abraham in chapter 12. It grew to his wife. And by the way, not only did it grow in who it involved, but it was going to grow in frequency. Remember verse 13? Everywhere we go, we're going to do this. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle. Number five, sin hurts our testimony and our witness. Verse number six. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. I just want to stop here and say this. This is a wicked king that is not, a, not someone following God. And he's the one showing integrity and innocence and righteousness. God says, I know you, were, you didn't do anything wrong. What a terrible witness and testimony that the friend of God is the one living like an unbeliever while the unbeliever is the one living like a believer. I know you did this, God said, for I also withheld thee from sinning against thee. I, me. I kept you from doing something wrong that you wouldn't have known. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet." Look at that, what a, what a terrible testimony. He's one of my preachers, and he shall pray for thee. He shall pray for me? He's, he almost got me killed. He shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? What what, what have I offended thee that thou hast brought unto me, on me and on my kingdom, a great sin? You're a prophet? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? What is he saying? What did we ever do to you? You represent God? And this is the way you treat people that have done nothing wrong to you? Do you think Abimelech, let's just stop and think for a minute. Do you think Abimelech was more likely to want to follow God after this interaction with God's prophet? Do you think Abimelech's like, wow, oh, that's what God does in a life? Let me follow God. I want to be like that guy. Or do you think that he thought, That's, and I'm using a New Testament term here. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what it looks like if you follow God. That's the fruit it has in your life. Now, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to get rid of this lady. I don't need this curse. But, man, get out of my country. I don't want anything to do with you or your God. I don't want this. Sin hurts our testimony and our witness. Why would you live like this, Abimelech said to Abraham. What have we done to you? Why would you come into our country and put us in this position? It's a sad thing, church, when unbelievers have more integrity than Christians. Which of these two men was living more like a believer should? The ungodly king Abimelech was living more like a believer should than than God's chosen friend, Abraham. Nothing besmirches the name of Christ like a Christian who lives antithetically to the teachings of Christ. Why would people want a salvation that isn't powerful enough to change your thinking and your living? I still have three points left. I'm on page five and a half of, of actually six and a half of 12 pages of notes. So I could try to rush through this and be done in like 25 minutes. I think I'm going to stop here on this point and continue this message next Sunday morning. The last few weeks, I've been going longer and longer, it feels like. I think I preached over 50 minutes last week. I thought it was great, but my wife let me know it was a little long when I got in the car. (laughs) I was talking to somebody after church last week. My father-in-law used to say a saying, he would say, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. (laughs) I heard someone else say, there's a fine line between a long message and a hostage situation. (laughs) So I'm not gonna hold you hostage. I don't, I don't want you to miss next Sunday. We're going to go to part two and finish this. It contains really the most exciting reality of sin, which that sounds uh, like an oxymoron. But, but there's the best point of this message is point number eight. Be here next Sunday. But let me wrap it up and, and we'll make this a two-part message. Here's my question for you this morning. What sin have you allowed into your life? And all of us struggle. Once again, I face Satan this morning and I battle him all the day long. But I like what the songwriter said, in my weakness, he sent reinforcements, and at sundown I sang victory song. You don't have to fight this on your own. By the way, you can't fight it on your own. You're not strong enough. Well, I've got to turn over a new leaf. i just got to get more disciplined. By the way, temperance, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, God will make us more disciplined. But it's not an outside-in victory of sin, it's an inside-out victory over sin. It's a relationship with God, it's time in his word, it's acknowledgement, it's confession, it's repentance, it's God, I, I acknowledge that I struggle with this sin, God, I repent, I'm sorry, I turn away from it, and God, with your strength, and I'm going to wake up, and like Paul, I'm going to try to die daily today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my father-in-law, who's pastored now for almost 50 years the same church, he would often talk about that every morning of his life, in his prayer time, he sings a little kid's song. And he would sing, the, he, uh, he may still do it to this day, but as he goes through, he prays for a while, and he sings, and he does different things in his prayer journal, and he would sing a little song, oh be careful little eyes, what you see, oh be careful little eyes, what you see, for the Father up above is looking down in love, oh be careful little eyes, what you see. And then he will sing, oh be careful little ears, what you hear, oh be careful little ears, what you hear, for the Father up above is looking down in love, oh be careful little ears, what you hear, oh be careful little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, for the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, a 60, 65, 70-year-old man singing a little children's song after he's pastored for nearly 50 years in his morning time with God. Why? Because the reality is sin affects all of us. And yes, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, but it's going to be a struggle. The two natures are going to be a struggle until the day that God gives us that glorified body. And all of us are going to have some sins that will easily beset us. You've heard the, the illustration of the, uh, the Indian chief that was led to Christ by the missionary, the preacher, and he gave him some things, and he was giving him some, some preaching and some I think I just talked about this, Bradley, with you on Wednesday in our discipleship meeting. He gave him these things, and, and he came back. He said, how are you doing with this? And, and the Indian chief, as a new believer, he said, well, there's a battle in my life. There's a battle. He said, what do you mean? He said, it's like there's two dogs inside of me. There's a, a good dog, and there's a bad dog. And they're always fighting with each other. Do you ever feel that way? They're fighting with each other. Paul said it that way. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And and he said, there's this this fight going on in my life. A good dog and a bad dog every day. And the pastor asked him, he said, well, which dog wins? The Indian chief responded, the one I feed the most. The one I feed the most. What are we feeding? Are we feeding him into that sin nature or into that spirit nature? into the flesh or the Spirit? Paul said in Galatians, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What sin have you become comfortable with? I want to remind you this morning our first five points. Number one, you're not alone. Be encouraged. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, but God will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is no temptation. Whatever you're struggling with, don't buy into the lie that you're the only one that struggles with sin. Don't buy into the lie that you're the only one that struggles with regrets. Don't buy into the lie that you're the only one that looks back and says, why didn't I do that, and why did I allow that in my life, and why did I make that decision, and why didn't we do this when we were raising those kids? Don't buy into that. There's there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't let Satan cause you to continually analyze your past, because if you do, it will paralyze your future. But Remind yourself, we all struggle with sin, but if you're saved, if you know Christ as Savior, the Bible says that he's taken our sins, past, present, and future, and he nailed them to the cross, blotting out the ordinances thereof. He wiped them away. Yes, sin affects all of us, but don't sit there and wallow in your despair and in your regrets. Run to the cross, flee to Christ, and, and let him remind you of his mercy and his grace and his love and forgiveness, and then walk in the spirit that you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not alone. Remind yourself your sin will hurt those around you. Have you convinced yourself that you're getting away with it? I found the loophole. I'm the exception. This one's not going to hurt us. Probably already is. Sin gets easier to repeat the more comfortable you get doing it. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Don't lay down and die. Well, it's just too hard. I've tried too many times. Get into God's Word. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. Get into God's Word. That that sin you're struggling with, why don't you start doing a Bible study on that topic? Why don't you write down on a 3 by 5 card a couple of words you struggle with your anger? Write down a a couple of verses that deal with anger. The Bible talks about an angry man. He that has has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. It's a city that's open to the attacks of the devil. Uh, God, would you give me the strength today when I'm struggling with that? Would you bring that verse to mind? Memorize a verse, read about it, bring a, bring a friend into your life, bring an accountability partner in. We don't believe you have to confess your sins to another Christian or to a priest or a pastor to get forgiveness, but the Bible does say it's a good thing at times to confess your faults one to another. That thing that you struggle with in your life, bring somebody in that maybe has more wisdom, has more, maybe more victory in that area, and let them walk through there. There's a pastor that we support, a church planter over in the LA area, he's preached here before, AJ Harold. I heard him say, and he said this in a men's meeting, I don't believe I, it would be wrong, I heard him say it in a church. He said, as a younger man, I really struggle with pornography. And he said, I have two accountability partners, one's my dad and another as either another pastor or another Christian man. This is a pastor of a church. And he said, every day we text each other and say, did you look at anything today you shouldn't have? My dad texts me and I text him. What is that? That's a man that realizes, he realizes the reality of sin. It's going to hurt me, I've got to run to the cross. I need God's help, I need God's spirit, I need God's word, and I need godly people around me with that thing that I struggle with. Sin gets easier to repeat, sin always grows. Like a destructive weed or a wild animal, you're not going to be able to contain it or control it. It's not humanly possible. What starts as a toehold turns into a foothold and eventually becomes a stronghold. We saw that with Samson, didn't we? The strength of the attacks on his life because of his sin only continued to increase until eventually he was in complete bondage. And then we saw fifth, sin hurts our testimony and our witness. God wants us to be a peculiar people, church. Peculiar doesn't mean strange. It's, that's, not, that's not the root word of that verse that's translated peculiar. Doesn't mean a bunch of weirdos. Well, we're just supposed to be weirdos. That's not what it means. Peculiar means unique, set apart, different. God wants us to be a different people. Why? Because if we're not, it besmirches the name of Christ. It reflects badly on our Savior. Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does our life say about the power of the gospel? Would an unbeliever want the Christianity that we display in our lives? So what sin have you gotten comfortable with? Anger? Deceit? Covetousness? Carnality? Lust? Greed? unkindness, pride, slothfulness, disobedience to parents, bitterness, and the list could go on. You and I can never be the Christian that God wants us to be while we're giving safe harbor to that besetting sin in our lives. Fight it, not in your own strength, in the power of prayer. With the power of the word, what does the Bible say? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There's power in the name of Christ. There's power in the word of God. Godly friends and influences. You're struggling with a certain sin, you might need to cut some certain people out of your life. Bible says of of Amnon, Amnon had a desire, a carnal, a godless desire to take advantage of his half-sister because she was beautiful. This is David's children. But the Bible says he couldn't bring himself to do it. You know what the Bible says? There are are four words, five words that changed everything in his life, his sister's life, and his family. It says, but Amnon had a friend. He couldn't bring himself to commit this godless sin, but he had a friend that convinced him. The power of our influences greatly affect the power of our, 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 um, our victory over sin or lack thereof. God can give you victory. We'll see that next Sunday as we finish the eight realities of sin. We've seen five of the eight in this passage. And the greatest reality I want you to leave with this morning is that no matter how strong sin is in your life, we have a stronger Savior who can give you victory. Not only can he, he wants to. Not only does he want to, he came to give you victory. I'm coming that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He will give you victory. The question is, will you let him? Now, depending on how long you've let that pet sin grow, it might be tough. In fact, it will be tough. It might take some time. But God can give us victory. We can walk in the spirit that will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've watched people through 23 years of vocational ministry. I've watched God give victory over every sin that you can imagine. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But who are we going to feed the most, the flesh or the spirit? Today, maybe it's a wake-up call for some of us. That sin we've just started to flirt with. That sin we've just given a little more time in our lives and in our minds and in our thoughts. That thing we've considered or maybe we've dabbled in or maybe we're even doing right now. And this is a wake-up call, God. It hasn't blown up in my life yet, but it could. And God, before it ever gets there, would you help me to get victory? Would you help me to turn to you and to let you give me that victory?